and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland and I'm so excited to be here with you. January is all about getting organized. So on today's show, we have a few suggestions for organizing your quilting life. We'll share some ideas for organizing your scraps and where to donate them if you're ready to part ways with your scrap bin. We'll also share tips for sewing more efficiently, which is a great topic if you have a stack of UFOs to finish like our staff does. We're also sharing our listeners' best storage tips and the history of solid fabrics and antique quilts. Then we chat with Philippa Naylor. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. So let's dive in. So much fabric, so little time. Now is the time of year where we're getting organized and maybe decluttering our sewing rooms. You may be coming across fabric or scraps that you don't love anymore. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More, who's going to share some ideas for giving your scraps a new life by donating it to organizations in need. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Lindsay. Happy 2020, everyone. It still feels so weird to say that. <laughs> yep. Um, so I'm so excited to cover this topic because what better time of the year to talk about evaluating your scraps and donating them than when the new year rolls around and so many sewers are in an organizing mood, including myself. Me too. So I know scrap control can be really tricky. It's hard to part with your precious fabric, even if there's little bits of it that you probably can't or are not going to end up using. It's just so hard. Um, so hopefully we'll give you some tips today that'll make it just a little bit easier. Before we get started running down a list of places to donate your scraps, I think we should actually define what we mean by scrap. The term means different things to different people and we all count our scraps in different ways. I know for me, scraps are leftover bits of fabric that are anywhere from two and a half inches to about 10 inches in size. And usually in my scrap bucket, there's some kind of weird polygon shape. <laughs> They're never actually a square or a rectangle. Um, anything smaller than that, I usually throw out or recycle, which actually might shock a few listeners. I, I know I've told that to a few quilter friends and they've just been so surprised. <laughs> that, how, how dare you throw out anything? But... Um, when I'm feeling ambitious, I try to take all those little scraps and cut them into squares and rectangles just so I have a better idea of how much fabric I have left. These are usually bits that I'm going to use in scrap quilts and I'm organizing by color and you need to know how much of each color you have, obviously. Um, but I'm not usually that ambitious. I always say I'm going to be and then I'm not. So the weird polygon shapes stay as they are and then just get tossed in a bucket and then <laughs> around January is when I start looking at them. So um, <laughs> how about you, Lindsay? What counts as a scrap for you? So I usually count scraps as anything smaller than 10 inches. And a lot of my reasoning around this has to do with how I store my fabrics. So I store my fabrics by color, but then I also have them separated by like larger yardage and then smaller cuts, such as a fat quarter. And this is just how I personally grab fabric from my stash like do I need a huge piece of it or am I just kind of pulling smaller pieces here and there so if I have a piece that's smaller than 10 inches it's probably not something I'm going to organize into my shelves anymore so when I get something that small I cut all my scraps into two and a half inch squares 
I personally love collecting mini charm squares, so I cut them to that size, and it's great to um, add that kind of to my collection of mini charms, and there's so many great patterns out there that use this size square, so it's a really easy way for me to just know I'm always cutting my scraps to that size. Um, and then I can look for patterns that kind of match that. <laughs> you do what I aspire to do. <laughs> I do think we uh, store our fabrics the same way because mm-hmm. not along over here. Like, yep, that's exactly what I do, too. Yeah, if I had a smaller piece of fabric, it would just get lost in my shelves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then you know that what's on the shelf is not a scrap. So that's helpful, mm-hmm. too. So if as you're going through your scraps, you have some to donate, keep in mind that the size of the scrap does matter for certain donation places. Also, if like me, you plan to pitch some of your materials, see what the recycling guidelines for your city are. Some places recycle textiles, but others don't. You may want to call and ask specifically about fabric versus store-bought clothing. Some clothing can't be um, recycled because of the processing it goes through and the additives and the zippers and whatnot, but quilting fabric is a little bit different. I should also preface this list by saying you should contact any place you wish to donate the fabric to in advance to make sure they are currently accepting fabric donations to see if there are any restrictions on type of fabric, style of fabric, or color of fabric and to check what that place's needs are if you plan on turning those scraps into something and then donating the project. Now, on to places that accept fabric donations. I've broken this down into two main categories, animal causes and human causes, based on what cause the fabric scraps are helping. Let's start with animals because it's a shorter list. First off, sometimes you hear about leaving threads and tiny scraps of fabric outside for birds to use in their nests. After doing a little research on this, I found it was actually pretty controversial. Several ornithologists say that the sewing materials can be bad for the birds or even injure them. On the flip side, some say birds have a good natural sense of what they can and cannot use for a nest and there's nothing wrong with putting out the scraps. Personally, I like to err on the side of caution and just not put out the scraps, but that's just me. You can often use fabric scraps to help local animal shelters though. You can easily make pet beds by filling pillowcases full of your scraps and sewing the opening closed. It actually makes a huge dent in your scrap collection, so this is a great way to get rid of lots of little pieces. Strips of fabric can also be braided into easy dog toys as well, which some shelters really need due to having an abundance of dogs who need to play. I love those ideas. Um, Although this is not an animal idea, I actually compost some of my scraps. And I'm specifically talking about like the smallest scraps or the selvages or like the little waste you have when you trim your triangle squares. So if your fabric is 100% cotton and doesn't contain like any metallics or special treatments, the worms love to eat it. So I throw a lot of it into my compost bin to help with my gardening in the spring. And I love that idea. I garden too. And I never knew that. Yeah, we actually found this out a few years ago. We, uh, For our Million Pillowcase mm-hmm. Challenge, we're always cutting like bolts and bolts of fabric, and we had all these selvages that we were looking to do something with. And there was actually a local lady that had a worm farm, oh. and she asked for them and said her worms loved it. And she actually, we gave her so much that she stopped taking them because <laughs> she was like, I don't have the right mix anymore. It's mostly cotton fabrics. Now I need like other kind right. of like food products or naturally. See, this is why you stuff. always ask before you <laughs> donate. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, that's great. So moving on to human causes, there are a lot of places that accept fabric donations to teach sewing or using craft projects, including local 4-H and FFA groups, school groups, 
girl and boy scout troops, and prison inmate sewing programs. There are also a lot of charity sewing groups that love to get new fabric they can use to make whatever project they sew to donate. For some groups, like those making the aforementioned dog toys, quantity is more important than prettiness, so it can be a good way to get rid of some of those uglies that might be in your stash, those fabrics where you're like, I'm not really sure what I was thinking when I bought that, (laughs) or maybe they were gifted to you. Although really, any fabric you consider ugly might be adored by someone else, so don't let that stop you from using it or donating it. Or don't tell them you're giving them your ugly fabrics. Yeah, don't don't admit it. No one will know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll know, but that doesn't matter. Um, Some larger groups like Quilts of Valor and Days for Girls will accept fabric scraps directly, but you can also check with your local quilt guild or your local quilt shop to see if they have any charity sewers who will take and use the donated fabric to make projects. Yeah, and finally, check your local thrift shops. A lot of them will take scraps as long as they're clean and bagged. Many quilters love getting new fabrics but can't afford to pay full price for them, so your donation will help spread a love of quilting. That's so true. In my old neighborhood, there was a thrift shop where each purchase helped veterans and their families. I used to donate a lot of fabric there, and I always knew that each time it was purchased, it would go to a good cause, so it was a good feeling. I actually built up my stash originally from different thrift store finds and scraps from other quilters when I first started sewing. So these are all worthwhile causes, but don't forget to also look close to home for places to donate your fabric. Nowadays, I get rid of most of my scraps by giving them to a couple of friends of mine who are just getting into quilting, and also to a family member who makes quilts for Project Linus. The former makes me feel good because it feels like I'm returning the favor for all those scraps quilters gave me when I was first starting out. And the latter makes me feel good because I know she's actually going to finish her projects and make those baby quilts, so my scraps are going to be put to good use. And it makes a dent in my stash and my giant scrap pile at the same time, (laughs) so it's win-win-win. Thanks so much, Joanna. These are all great ideas to consider as we're decluttering our sewing rooms or sorting our scraps. And we'll have a complete list online of places that accept fabric scraps, so visit our show notes for all those details. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Joanna for Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or technique. So Joanna, what are we learning today? So in keeping with an organizing theme for the start of the new year, I wanted to share a few tips on how to sew more efficiently. I don't know about you, but when I start organizing my sewing room in January, it inevitably means finding lots of UFO projects, or unfinished objects, that I started sewing throughout the previous year, put down, and never came back to. (laughs) So watching the UFOs pile up actually makes me a little bit anxious, and I find myself wishing I could sew faster, basically. So today, I'm sharing some tips on a few techniques that will help save you some time so you can maybe finish up those UFOs or clean your room faster. I love it. I always say I wish I had more time in the day, but if I uh, was more time efficient, maybe that's the solution. There you go. So the first tip is to consider reorganizing your sewing room layout to have what often gets called a sewing triangle. Now, I had been quilting for a while before I ever heard this term, and when I did hear it, I was really confused about what my quilter friends were talking about. So basically, a sewing triangle is a workroom configuration where your cutting area with your rotary cutter and mat, your sewing machine table, and your ironing board form a triangle, and usually these stations are pretty close together. Since everything is fairly close at hand, you don't have to um, get up and move and waste a lot of time going back and forth to each station as you use each tool. If you keep the necessary tools for piecing 
cutting and pressing near each station, you can really limit the amount of times you have to get up and the distance you have to walk. Seems like a small thing, but all those seconds add up over time. Now, there are a few downsides to this because you're not getting up as often. Usually the downside is you're going to get a stiff neck and a sore back. So make sure you incorporate some stretching breaks and drink lots of water as you're sewing. That will really keep you sewing longer because you won't be in any pain. Good ideas. So the second tip is to use chain piecing. Chain piecing saves you time, cuts down on thread usage, which also helps your sewing budget, and can help prevent things like nests of thread on the back of your piecing. To chain piece, start sewing your units together and have the next unit ready to go off the side. When you get to the edge of your first pair, feed the next pair through without breaking the thread. No stopping necessary. When chain piecing, make a test block first so you really understand how the block comes together and also check the accuracy of your quarter inch seam allowance. Chain piecing can save you a lot of time, but if you find out after the fact that you made a mistake on one of the units, it means you've repeated that mistake on all of the units, and that means a lot of extra time ripping those seams out. So always test first. You're also going to want to use a leader scrap of fabric. A leader scrap is a bit of waste fabric that you sew as the first unit in your chain. It's helpful because sometimes the first few stitches can be a little off, or the row of stitching might not start at the exact top of your piece, which means later on when you're sewing that unit, the seam might break open because it doesn't run the whole length of the unit that you sewed. Ender scraps of fabric can also be helpful. It's the same idea, but instead of the first piece you sew, it's actually gonna be the last piece that you sew in the chain. And again, it just gives you a nicer seam that's less likely to break open later. Yeah, it's also a good idea if you're sewing like a lot and a lot of units, like hundreds, which some quilts call for. If you use a leader at understrip in like sets of 10, mm -hmm. you can easily count how many you've sewn because you have these units of 10 that have the two scraps on the sides. I know I've done that before to kind of keep track of where I am in the process. Oh, that's a great idea. It's like little counting beads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, just a reminder for anyone who isn't familiar with it, the American Patchwork and Quilting UFO Challenge has just started up again for the new year. I just filled in my sheet with the 12 projects that I want to finish this year, and I've actually gotten a good start on January's UFO. It's, uh, it's feeling promising that I'm actually going to finish it. I finished mine. Oh, look at you, overachiever. But I picked the easiest one first. I cheated and switched my number, so oh. my other ones will be harder. You're not supposed <laughs> to say that over the air. Now everyone there's, will know. I chatted on last week's <laughs> podcast about how there's really no rules to this challenge. That is, that is true. <laughs> I'll let it go this time. <laughs> but... Um, but yes, I'm hoping to have my January one finished soon. And there's also an amazing Facebook group that's really helpful if, like me, you struggle with accountability. And uh, I must confess, I've not always been good at following along with the challenge. And this year, pretty much all my UFOs are the same UFOs from last year. But I think this year is going to be my year. I agree. Thanks for those reminders, Joanna. And we'll have links in the show notes to the UFO challenge that Joanna mentioned, as well as a great video we did on four ways to use chain piecing while you're sewing. Now it's time for Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best advice to common quilting struggles. This week, we're sharing some fun storage ideas from our readers. We know January is a big time to get organized, so hopefully these tips help with some common storage problems you may be facing. So our first tip comes from Paulette Patterson from Mapleton, Utah. She says, 
To keep frequently used items within easy reach, I mounted a magnetic strip purchased at IKEA to the wall near my sewing machine. I added round containers with see-through lids to the strip. Now I have items such as straight pins, safety pins, and a variety of scissors always at hand. This next tip comes from Gloria Galena of Coparus Cove, Texas. She says, The next time you buy sheets or shams, save the plastic bags they come in. These heavy-duty bags with zippers make excellent project bags. Some even have pockets where product descriptions were inserted. Uh, That was a hard one for me. I'm from Wisconsin, so saying bag (laughs) without sounding too northern was hard for me. (laughs) So our next tip is from Diana Marler of Garland, Texas, and she says, A child's toy organizer makes a perfect fabric organizer. Fat quarters fit in the small bins, and larger pieces of fabric can be folded to store in the larger bins. One worked so well for me that I bought a second one and stacked it on the first one. I keep one bin just for throwing in pieces that need to be refolded and put away. Elaine Reuschlin of Cumberland, Maryland says, To keep track of how to use my specialty rulers, I punch a hole in the instruction sheet and attach it to the ruler with a binder clip. And Marie Flood of Key Colony Beach, Florida says, I have a jewelry organizer that has clear pockets hanging in my sewing room closet. In it, I sort my threads by color, which makes them easy to find at a glance. And great idea to put that in your closet. Thread should be stored out of direct sunlight, so that's a really clever idea. So we love hearing these ideas from our readers. So if you're interested in submitting your own tip for feature in our magazines or on the podcast, send an email of your tip to apqtips at meredith.com. I'm here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and notions and their history. So what are you going to be talking about today, Jody? Well, today I want to talk about a subset of vintage quilts that people collect, and those are quilts that are made with solid fabrics. Now, you might think that quilts made with solids are kind of a modern thing, but that really isn't the case at all. Probably the most recognizable quilts that you think of when you think of solid quilts are Amish quilts. And they began making quilts in the late 1800s, and they developed a style that included geometric shapes uh, and then used fabrics that were solid color. Now, it wasn't until the late 1960s and 70s that people outside the Amish communities started discovering these quilts and then bringing them to a broader collecting community. People start doing research on these quilts and discover that there are definitely some regional differences in terms of the colors that could be used in different parts of the country. So, for example, quilts made in Lancaster, Pennsylvania look very different from those made in Holmes County, Ohio, that look very different from those made in Kelowna, Iowa. Now, in recognition of these beautiful quilts, the U.S. Postal Service issued a set of stamps featuring quilts from the Esprit Collection as part of its American Treasures Collection in 2001. Now, moving forward a little bit, uh, in the 1800s, there were a lot of quilts made with solids that used the color combination of red, green, and white. Now, to us, those seem like Christmas colors, but they really weren't during that time. 
And what happened was that white was usually used as a background, and then solid green for the vine and the leaves, and then shades of red or pink for the floral motifs. Now, we're going to go to the 1930s, and fabrics of that time kind of bring to mind small prints in pastel or sherbet colors. But there are many documented examples of 1930s quilts with those same colors, but made in solids. Dresden plate, double wedding ring, and grandmother's flower garden are just a few examples of patterns that were made with solids only. Today, these quilts often have a very modern look to them. Two-color solid quilts are pretty easy to find. So blue and white, green and white, and of course the perennial favorite, red and white, are some of the most sought after by collectors today. In 2011, over 650 red and white quilts from the Joanna S. Rose Collection filled the Park Avenue Armory in New York City for the infinite variety, three centuries of red and white quilts exhibit. Now in the years since the exhibit, we've seen many books, patterns in magazines, and even other exhibits of red and white quilts that were inspired by these amazing vintage two-color solid quilts. Every other year, the American Quilt Study Group issues a challenge to members to make new quilts based on vintage ones. In 2018, the challenge was 200 years of solid color quilts, cultural and regional distinctions. The challenge was to create a small piece inspired by a vintage quilt made only with solids. 47 of those quilts have been published in a book recently, and its title is 200 Years of Solid Color Quilts, a Quilt Study. There's also a traveling exhibit of these quilts through the year 2021. You can go to the website AmericanQuiltStudyGroup.org for more information for buying the book or the travel exhibit schedule of these quilts. Now, in my mind, solid quilts have a timeless appeal. And even on our website, allpeoplequilt.com, you can search solids and find many types of projects that feature solids only. Thanks so much, Jody. So we will link to some of the resources Jody was talking about in the show notes. And also, if you'd love to see Jody's personal collection of antique quilts, please follow her on Instagram at sewmorequiltsmom. And we'll link to her Instagram in the show notes, too. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. At Quilt Market in October, Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler, had a chat with Philippa Naylor. Philippa is a talented quilter, producing intricately pieced, applique, and whole cloth quilts that have won prizes in many quilt shows in both the UK and America. She's an author of two books, Quilting in the Limelight is an autobiographical story of life and quilting in Saudi Arabia, while Applique Mastery gives instructions to make her award-winning quilt bird by bird. She's also a teacher and just last year launched Quilter's Question Time, an online teaching library where she teaches a new class each month. Please enjoy the interview. This is Doris Burnett. I am here with Philippa Naylor. She is a quilter from the UK. 
a celebrated quilter, award-winning quilter from the UK. She is, uh, I'm meeting with her in person in Houston, Texas. She's here for Quilt Festival doing some teaching, some classes. Um, she currently lives in Yorkshire, but she has kind of an interesting story of how she came to quilting. So I will introduce her and let her uh, give us a little bit of that story about um, her journey into quilting and um, how she progressed to becoming the celebrated award-winning quilter she is today. So thank you, Philippa for joining me. Oh no, thank you for asking me, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so you'd like to hear about my journey starting into quilting? Yes, yes. definitely. Okay, well um, I actually originally trained as a clothing designer and I trained for four years at college um, and then I worked in the UK clothing industry. I was actually a lingerie designer. Um, I didn't train particularly to be a lingerie designer. I trained to do everything from men's tailoring, children's wear, everything. But the first job interview I, I ever had was as a lingerie designer and I took the job and I ended up doing that for five years. But during that five years, uh, my husband and I got married and he um, is and was a teacher and started off as an art teacher, so that's our kind of artistic background. But he then retrained to be an English language teacher and that took him to Sweden and then to Saudi Arabia. Um, and of course, as we were married, I wanted to be with him. <laughs> and so I ended up going to Saudi. We um, said we originally oh, will try it for a year um, and we ended up staying there for 15 years. Oh, now, wow. yeah, it's a long time since I left, actually. It's now 15 years since I left Saudi Arabia. Um, but at the time, um, women weren't visibly working. And so uh, I lived on a compound which had about 100 villas and it was all expats, people working for British Aerospace. My husband um, taught English as a foreign language to Saudi Air Force cadets. Um, but women did work, but you know, they were doing things like bakeries and piano lessons and various things like that. I actually trained to be an exercise instructor and had a fantastic job teaching ex-military guys um, exercise classes. Um, <laughs> That's great. But, yeah, um, because my husband was um, an artist, he used to make Christmas cards and have them printed, which was actually illegal in Saudi at the time. But hmm. um, he, we would then sell them at Christmas bazaars on Western compounds. So um, within the compound, we would celebrate Christmas. And I got sat next to a lady who had a stall um, where she was advertising her quilting classes. And we sat next to one another for six hours. And she kept saying, oh, we must come on a quilting course with me. And I, at the time, had a clothing business um, making evening and wedding dresses for expats. And I, um, I sort of wasn't interested. But after six hours of being worn down, <laughs> <laughs> by this woman I agreed to go on a course and the shortest course I could do was three mornings and I made um, a paper pieced pineapple quilt and absolutely loved it and from that point on um, did very little in the way of garment making except for fancy dress costumes for my two young sons at the time and I spent about 10 years just doing quilting before I really returned to garment making because uh, there was so much to explore and now I do sure. both I kind of equally between garment making and quilt making okay a paper piece pineapple that's kind of interesting and you chose it because it was the small shortest class well, <laughs> most condensed class you could do yes it's not typically something i don't paper piecing i don't think is something that a uh, beginner typically jumps into no, so that's but, interesting and then too come to it with masses of sewing experience sure time, exactly so i'm not yeah. in that sense of beginner i'm a beginner yeah. to quilting but all the techniques that i use and teach are very much grounded in my garment making background yes definitely yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, yeah. and I know um, a lot of the award-winning quilts that I've seen of yours are, there's a lot of um, precise applique, and you're teaching a class here on edging techniques or yeah. finishing techniques. Um, so there's a lot of, I think that that garment training comes through in your your quilting. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I'm sort of particularly proud of really is that I've won major awards in all kinds of styles of quilting. So traditional and curved piecing and whole cloth and miniatures and garments and um, all, all kinds of things. So what I like to think that shows is that I have a really big range of skills. Yes. To, uh, a, to employ in my own work, which keeps it really interesting for me. But also it means I've got a lot to teach and a lot to share with people. And I tend to be, I tend to teach technique rather than project because I want to give people the skills to go away and do work in the style that they like to do it but with the best possible techniques that I can offer them and precision is certainly I don't say it's my middle name but it is I do really enjoy getting the work beautifully kind of finished the the workmanship matters to me it yes it really does yeah yes yeah. okay um so did you were you immediately hooked after that first class did you start to design your own projects at that point did you work from patterns at all and then get into more designing okay, your so own that was in 1996 and um and i did this little three morning course with this lady and then i discovered that in the town that i lived at in saudi arabia there was actually a quilting group and it had about 100 members at the time oh. And, and uh, lots of different nationalities, I mean, mainly Americans. So I joined that and that met once a month. But I'd had no other exposure to quilting. So I thought, you know, you just went along once a month and you got a book out the library and you made, a, um, did the block of the month that was shuffled sure. off. And I was a bit kind of naive. And then um, I met a lady who used to go every summer to quilting by the lake in upstate New York. And she gave me a brochure. This was in 1999. And she said, oh, that I would really enjoy it. And I, at the time, thought I could possibly go all the way from Saudi Arabia to the States to do some quilting classes. And then I thought, well, actually, I can do that. <laughs> um, and I just went for four days, but it kind of transformed my whole thinking because then I was exposed to what was being done in terms of surface design and embellishment and huge ranges of fabrics that we just didn't get in Saudi. And I, I became conscious that it was ridiculous that as a trained designer, I was just doing other people's patterns and that I should... Um, make my own designs and so from that point on I'm, I made my own original quills um, and very quickly um, had success in shows particularly in the States and I think that being in Saudi was an advantage because I wasn't exposed to what else was being done so it didn't really influence with me I just kind of thought oh well I'll make that and how am I going to actually make that work practically and so I think the time in Saudi was really useful and of course I had a lot of time as well so sure yeah yeah it did make a difference yeah. okay so yeah you kind of jumped right into exhibiting then sometimes yeah. it takes people a time to build up confidence to enter competitions but um, um did you start entering uh the large competitions then right away like festival and well, uh, yes. bigger shows but what happened as a direct result of seeing what was done at quilting by the lake i came back and i designed an original quilt and it was still really quite traditional but i made it for my husband's um 50th birthday okay um and i and lots of americans in saudi so one of my american quilting friends said it was really really good and i should enter it into a show 
Um, and she suggested I entered it into the American Quilter Society show, and this would be in 2001 because I'd made it over a period of time. And it was accepted, and it won a second place in its category, which at the time was an amateur category because I was an amateur at the time. <laughs> um, and it won a thousand dollars. So that's my first original quilt that went into its first show that won a thousand dollars. And at the time when it came back, I was really overwhelmed by that and couldn't believe it because I hadn't, apart from quilting by the late, I hadn't been to big shows, so I didn't know what. Right. what was out there and what the standard was or anything so um, I thought that you know perhaps I could do something with this because I knew that I wasn't going to be in Saudi forever and that I would need to find employment when I left I didn't want to go back to being a, a clothing designer and so I decided that if I could make quilts to get them into shows to win prizes then I would have publicity and people would come and take classes from me um, and that actually worked very well because the following year I made a, a, I kind of very quickly moved on to a curve piecing technique that I developed um, and I made a quilt the following year went to the American Quilt Society show in Paducah and that won um, the Benina Workmanship Award which was a $12,000 purchase yes, award. Yes that's a large prize that's it. Yeah a... and then the next year I won $18,000 there with Best of Show that's so wonderful. it was like this phenomenal kind of rise to fame really or not rise to fame but kind of rise to success which I feel like I kind of maybe peaked in about 2003. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Um, so uh, is there any particular quilt or design that holds a special or maybe not special significance or like prominence for you? Is there any particular one that um, you've done that? Well, I mean, all the quilters will know that the, probably the favorite quilt is the one that they're working on at the moment or the one that they've just finished. Right. That's um, very true. I actually have three quilts in the um, National Quilt Museum in Paducah in Kentucky. Um, I'm, I don't know whether I should say this, but I, I could have had six in, but three of them I decided not to sell and keep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, have been several times um, when I've been teaching there and I've visited them. Um, and it is always a great honour. And you don't see them and you don't see them hanging and you don't see them hanging very in true. beautiful light. And the one that won Best of Show, when I do see it, I think, yeah, yeah it's quite a good piece of work, that one. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it is, it, there is a kind of sadness to giving them. We're not giving them away, you're selling them, you're getting large amounts of money for them. But there's also recognition that you're making these things to be shared. And, you know, I do share them when I'm exhibiting and when I'm teaching, but not in quite the same way and and that it's going to be there and looked after really well you know for a very long time so um yeah I'm very proud of that fact yeah yeah, yeah that's definitely something to be proud of oh, to yeah, have yeah. have quilts living there in Paducah <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> um can you tell me a little bit about your quilters question time how that came about how that got started and what is involved for or I think there's some of our listeners that definitely might be interested in that uh, thank you yeah quilters question time um it's uh, me teaching online classes and uh, a friend of mine um whose husband works in oh goodness knows an absolute computer whiz and marketing and all of that um, had chatted to me on several occasions over a period of maybe three years more saying you know we, we ought to set up some online classes because I've got one skill set and you've got another skill set and they're going to work really well together and I, I have a really busy teaching schedule but um, this last year my actual traveling schedule was a little bit reduced it was actually supposed to be 2019 a complete year off just to work in my studio but that didn't turn out and so I said yeah I can do it this year 
And so we started, and it has been absolutely fantastic. We're absolutely loving it. And we're Good. I'm glad to know it's been well received. Oh, yeah. No, it's been great. And loads of really positive feedback. So what I do, we, we tape a, a class, and it tends to be technique-based, although there may be a project, but as I say, I like to teach technique. Um, and so it's a new technique every month, and it's a very extensive class in terms of really the all the detail, all the little bits that, you know, take you work from being a good piece of work to an exhibition quality work. Um, we film over about three days and then um, David takes it away. David's my business partner. His daughter, Maisie, does the initial editing. Then he does some editing. Then I check it uh, and we make sure it's all OK. And, and then it is released. Um, we also have an exclusive Facebook group just for members. And within that Facebook group, there is obviously a community that answers questions itself, but they post from the, what they've done in the classes that they've been doing um i answer those questions but we also have online sessions probably once a month where we say right we're, we're live at such and such a time um you know send you questions and then they can see me and i'm answering the questions and so it's become this really marvelous kind of community really and we have tons of plans for it and it yeah it's been lots of fun and i really um I mean, I absolutely love all of the teaching, but I've been travelling and teaching um, since leaving Saudi for the last 15 years. And you do need to keep yourself interested and keep moving on with something else. And so the online thing, we've learned a lot of things just in doing that. But also, I actually do think it probably makes me a better classroom teacher because I'm thinking about things in different ways as well. So it's been a really positive addition. And also we've earned some money from it as well, which has been quite <laughs> I bet nice. you do learn a lot because you're teaching to a camera rather than yeah. to um, students that are right there in front of you with that feedback so you have to think about it a little bit differently so yeah. it probably does help add to your Absolutely. your teaching skills because when, when you, you do go back to the classroom yeah sure because when you you're in a class situation you can ask are there any questions and people will ask questions so if you haven't covered anything or there's something you might maybe miss they are there to prompt you with that but in the in front of the camera david's not a quilter he has no clue what. right so you have to make sure in your own head that you feel you've covered everything that you possibly could have covered yeah so, yeah that's great well and i first became familiar with um quilters question time through um just your general facebook page and you've got some sneak peek videos on there so if anybody's interested and joining the online classes they can kind of see what it's all about yeah. before they commit yeah, yeah. to purchasing the online class but um and I think that the approach that you have where doing the live videos and putting out questions you know what would you like to hear that's great yeah that's it's, fantastic isn't yeah, it yeah, they yeah are. The, that you are able to engage with people in a way that you never were before and uh, you know I mean I'll be honest with you when we set up there's a kind of worry about I'm kind of I'm not giving it away because you have to pay for it but you know it is out there for anybody that wants it right but I try to view that in a very positive way to say well you know you have to use that to keep growing and keep pushing yourself further and keep learning but also you know I'm not going to be around forever it's nice that it's documented as well that's very true yeah Yeah. you know it's know who knows what's around the corner so that 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 knowledge that I and you know anybody like me in any field has spent all of those years gaining dies with you doesn't it that's very true that's that's a good point so yeah and if something happens that you're not no longer able to travel and teach you can have dvds and um, yeah yeah, your classes live on that way that's that's a wonderful (laughs) way to look at it so and I know you sent me mentioned to me earlier when we first met that um most of your classes are technique-based rather than project-based. So you're giving people the tools yeah. to d- make their own designs and their own wonderful quilts, So, um, which I think that's always great. That's one thing 
that's great about the quilting community is people that have had success and that are always willing to share their tips and tips and advice and techniques and um, I think that's... one of the reasons that quilting is so popular is that it is there is a style of working and a technique for everybody and so if you're really really precise it's that or there for you but if you like to work in a very fast intuitive way and you're not worried about you know the precision of the work that is there for you as well there is everything within that range in every possible way of working with textiles and not just textiles yeah yeah Yeah, definitely well thank you very much for meeting with me today this has been wonderful and i'm i'm glad to get to meet you in person i've long been an admirer of your work so um, i may have to be joining these online classes soon myself so (laughs) find find time to sit down and enjoy them so but i appreciate it very much it's my pleasure to chat to you and and every success to you as well Uh, thank you philippa (laughs) we loved doris's conversation with philippa learn more about philippa at her website philippanaylor.com and subscribe to her video classes at quiltersquestiontime.com. You can stay in touch with Philippa on Instagram at NaylorPhilippa. That's N-A-Y-L-O-R-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A. We'll link to all of Philippa's websites in our show notes so you can connect with her. Before we leave today, I just wanted to remind everyone about our amazing subscription offer that we have just for our podcast listeners. So our podcast listeners can get 60% off a year subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. So if you've been wanting to get one, take advantage by visiting our show notes to find all the info. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.